Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Come with me here to Acts 2.42. This is a really important statement about what the early church believed to be most important. And so we're going to look at it for a couple weeks. We looked at it last week. Let's jump back in, Acts 2.42. They, the first Christians, that's who it's talking about, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me remind you of an image I gave you last week. We're going to hold on to it for a couple of weeks. It's really important, I think, to think about this moment, the beginning of the church following the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. It's really important to think about this as the foundational moment of the church. We're told that the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, and we see that in Acts 2 as his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, is poured out on the disciples. A great sermon about Jesus as king is preached, and then 3,000 are baptized into the name of Jesus. So Jesus is clearly the foundation of the church. And then you come to verse 42, and you see the framework or the framing of the church begin to take place on this foundation. And the frame of the church, which is also going to bear some of the weight as the Lord adds to it, we're told. There's the foundation and the frame. And the frame is made up of the practices that the first Christians devoted themselves to. And that word devoted themselves is really important. We talked about that last week. Just a reminder, it means to persevere in something, to persist in it. So their devotion to these practices wasn't a one-time thing. They believed they were going to have to be committed to these practices indefinitely if the church had a future. And there's four practices. Did you see them? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. We talked about fellowship and, and breaking bread last week. Today, apostles' teaching. But then, like I just said a second ago, it's on this framework. So this is the frame of the Jesus house, the church. And it's onto this frame that the Lord then adds to their number daily those who are being saved. So on these practices, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, God feels confident in sending people their way. They can hold this. All right. What I told you last week, and i just remind you one more time, is as we, as we preach through these four categories, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer, we're nearing the new year. And I'm, I'm wondering if you might think through, and I'm thinking this through myself, 
Is there a commitment, a goal, a resolution that I might make as it relates to one or two or three or maybe four of these categories that I want to grow in one of these in some way? Believing that if you grow in that, it's going to be good for for you and for the church here. So that's what I want you to think about this morning. Let's look at the first one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let me set the context for this because I think understanding the context makes this so much more powerful as you think about it in today's modern world. So think with me through here the context. This is Acts 2.42. What happens immediately before this? If you go back and look, what you'll see is that Peter preaches a sermon. It's a great sermon. I'm a believer in great sermons. I wish that y'all got to hear some occasionally. And so he preaches this great sermon, and the conclusion, the climax of the sermon, it's all building up to this moment, is Acts 2.36, where he says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So the title of Peter's first sermon ever, first Christian sermon, the title is Jesus is King, and the subtitle is, and you are in trouble. You're in bad shape. Because the guy who God made Lord and Messiah, you killed. So you're in trouble. You're bad with God. So what this produces for those who hear it is conviction and crisis. They've just been told, you are in really bad shape. You're in trouble. And so what do you do when somebody tells you you're in trouble or you're in bad shape? You ask for help. And that's what they do. Immediately, they come to Peter and the other apostles and they say, what must we do then? And Peter says, oh, it's actually pretty easy. You need to repent and be baptized. And three things are going to happen. You'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you'll be saved. And as maybe you're thinking about baptism or you're studying baptism with with somebody, those three, that's a good Cliff Notes version of what baptism is all about. You're going to be forgiven of your sins. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be saved by being united to the risen Lord now and forever. And so 3,000 of them hear what they're supposed to do and immediately do it, and they're baptized. So think about this. They go from being in bad shape with God instantly to being in good shape with God. They go from being in trouble to being all good, and it happens just like that when they're baptized. So here's what I want you to pay attention to. It's after they go from being bad to good that we read they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So think through this with me. It is 100% normal to seek help when you are in crisis or in bad shape. What makes Christianity different is that Christians seek help when they are in good shape. Do I need to say that again? 
It is 100% normal to seek help when you're in crisis, when things don't make sense and you need help, that's when you ask what to do. What is abnormal is that when you are good and things are going well in your life, for you then to seek help in wisdom outside and beyond yourself. And that's what we read. That's when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, is when they got good. Uh, Let me give you an example. Think about the doctor. When do you go to the doctor? When you're sick, when you're sick or you're hurting, right? That's when you go to the doctor. I had a kidney stone. It was actually our last life-giving Sunday. I had a kidney stone. It was the worst thing ever that I've experienced. It was, um, I'll never forget, it was on Life-Giving Sunday. That was the Sunday we brought Ron Wade up here with Hope Works, and we gave him the $100,000 check, and we shot a confetti cannon off in church. And so I was convinced on the way to the hospital, it was God punishing me for that confetti cannon. It's like, never again, God, I'll never do it again. Okay. You remember that Sunday. I'll never forget it. Okay. When I was hurting and in crisis, what did I want? Help. More than anything in the world. I was willing to do anything those doctors told me to do. I was willing to take anything that they were willing to give me because I was in crisis. And then I walked out of the ER after everything was resolved. And they're like, you should follow up with your primary care doctor. And I did. We talked about it one time. And then I kind of moved on. And I haven't changed anything, really. I drink a little more water like seven ounces more than I was drinking before every morning. I make myself drink seven ounces. That's it. Okay. Or think about your kids. How many of you, you've sent your kids off to college? When do your kids call you from college? Yeah. Yeah. There's some laughter here. When they need something, when they're in trouble, when they're out of money, when their girlfriend dumps them, when they failed out of a class, that's when they call you. How many of you get this call from your kid? It's like, hey mom, hey dad. And you're like, what's up babe, what's wrong? And they're like, oh, I just wanted to hear your voice and soak in some of your wisdom. <laughs> you're like, you're, are you sick? You know, are you running a fever? What's wrong with you? Okay, when do we seek help? We seek help when something's bad, when things are going wrong in our lives, right? That's 100% normal to seek help then. And here's what happens. People, most people, live under the convenient illusion that as long as things are going good in their life, they're good, and everything they need to know is where? Right inside here. Right inside themselves. All the wisdom and truth I need are right here, and you can conveniently believe that as long as things are going good. And Paul tells this young minister, Timothy, about this. He says, look at this, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days when people will be lovers of what? Themselves. They'll be lovers of themselves. I've been thinking a lot about that as a young minister myself. And it's only when that doesn't work that you go looking for an authority, a help, a guide that is above and beyond yourself, outside of yourself. We, we do this awesome class for young couples called Start Married Life Right for seriously dating, engaged, young married couples. And there's weeks on um, in-laws, on finances, intimacy, so all all things that can be great or can cause conflict in your marriage. But the week I'm told where there's the most table conversation, the most disagreement, and the most challenge is the week where we look in depth at Ephesians 5. So in Ephesians 5, you have instructions for husbands and wives. 
But the headline or the title over Ephesians 5 is Ephesians 5.21, where we're told, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then there's different ways that the man and the woman submit to one another, but the principle is that both of you should put your spouse above yourself. That's what's going to make a good relationship. And so we summarize that biblical principle with this phrase right here, spouse over self. And we tell them, put this on a sticky note on your um, bathroom mirror, put it in your car, everywhere you go. I want you to see that and make every decision you make as a couple with this principle, spouse over self. And this is the hardest week for those couples. This is the week they fight most about it. Why? Because we have a hard time believing there is ever a case in which somebody else should lead us. If somebody's going to lead me, it should be me. I just read this great book on discipleship as we're building up for our vision of discipling 400 young people. And the book has this epilogue. It's short. It's a one-page epilogue. And the title of the epilogue is A Plea for a Teachable Heart. He says, A teachable heart requires a willingness to look for insight beyond oneself. A willingness to look for insight beyond oneself. So, I think this is what makes the early church so compelling and so disorienting for the modern world. Is that they're not just willing to look for insight beyond themselves. They devote themselves to insight above and beyond themselves. To the apostles' teaching. They devote themselves to it. They submit to that. So, um, how do we make sense of that? What, what was the apostles' teaching? Do something with me. If you've got a Bible in your lap or if you're looking at your device at a Bible, you might flip back over to Acts chapter 2 and you look at Peter's sermon. Acts 2 starting at verse 14 and going through verse 36. Do you notice in that you've got these sections that look like poetry that are mixed in between the regular paragraphs. Do you see that in Acts 2? Let's see, starting in verse 17, starting in verse 25, verse 34, you see those sections? Okay, what those are are direct quotes from Scripture. That's, that's what those are. If you flip over to Acts 3, you see the second sermon that Peter gives. If you read through it, you'll see Peter continuously talking about what the prophets foretold. And then you've got direct quotes from Scripture there too, like in Acts 3, verse 25. All right. What were the apostles teaching? They were teaching God's Word. You do a study on all the sermons in Acts, all the writings of Paul and the others in the rest of the New Testament, you'll see laced in nearly every chapter of the New Testament quotes or references to the Old Testament Scripture. What the apostles were teaching was how Scripture showed us who Christ was and how through doing that, we learn how to live as Christ's people. That was the substance of the apostles' teaching. And so when we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it's a statement that they were placing themselves as people who had gone from bad to good. In a good shape, they came and placed themselves 
under the authority of God's word as taught to them from the apostles. Think about that. Um, Scripture bears this out. I mean, you know this passage, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be what? Thoroughly. You're not going to be lacking anything. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. When it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it means they submitted to God's word. That's, that's what we see here. So why does this matter so much today? Um, six or seven years ago, the Oxford English Dictionary submitted the word of the year, something they do every year. And six or seven years ago, the, the word of the year was post-truth. Post-truth. A year after that, Time Magazine ran a cover with a three-word title on the cover of Time Magazine, and the, the title was, Is Truth Dead? And as you hear that, you may remember a similar cover from Time Magazine 30 years ago that was what? Is God dead? Not 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Is God dead? 50 years ago. Okay, we're living in a time where... Knowing what's true is really challenging because information is coming at us so fast. There's so much of it, and it's focused on confirming what we already think and believe. There's so much out there that you can pretty much go and find what you already think. Somebody has said it somewhere else, and then you're affirmed and continuing to think what you already think. That's the the problem of the world we're living in. Where was this revealed recently? COVID-19. When suddenly, overnight, all of us were epidemiologists. We didn't, we didn't know we all went to school to learn how viruses and diseases move, but turns out I read an article and now I know. Right? Okay. So in that kind of world, assessing what is true is really difficult. And because we, did, we struggle to determine what's true, what we're lacking is wisdom. And what the world needs right now, more than anything, maybe, is the wisdom of Jesus' people. And so this author I like, Brett McCracken, he recently put out this pyramid. It's it's called the Wisdom Pyramid. And I think this captures what we see in Acts chapter 2. So let's throw this Wisdom Pyramid up on the screen here. I like this. It's a great book. For the record, if you want to read it, it's good. But let me just show it to you, and you might be able to get it. He bases this off the food pyramid. Do you remember the food pyramid from grade school? So the principle of the food pyramid is the stuff at the bottom of the food pyramid you should eat the most of. And as you work your way up, you may eat those things occasionally. There's some okay things in there, but you want to be more sparing. So at the top of the food pyramid is like gummy bears or something like that. Okay. And so you can have a gummy bear. You're not going to die if you have a gummy bear, but if that was all you had, that would be bad. He takes that same principle and he he applies it to this wisdom pyramid. And I think this reflects what we read about in Acts 2.42 about their devotion, what they devoted themselves to. That at the bottom of the pyramid, so the thing you should eat from or feed on most is God's word, the Bible. And then a step up from that, you have the, the church 
And the function of the church is to help you to interpret the Bible so that you can honor God with a good and glorifying life. And so when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it's not just to God's word, but it's God's word as taught to them by who? The leaders of the church who care about them. And so he says you can then work your way up and you can find truth in nature and beauty. That's biblical that their truth exists there in books and like there's probably some truth on the internet and you can find it there, but that shouldn't be the main place you go for truth or to devote yourself to, right? Okay, but here's the problem. How many of you, your uh, phone sends you that alert each week of the amount of screen time for the week? You know what annoyed me to no end is that my phone always sent me that on Sunday morning. I'm like preparing to come and speak about the word of God. And it's like, hey, you've been on your phone for hours and hours and hours. And you just think about, throw that pyramid back up on the screen one more time, if you don't mind. You just think about that. Like if you just took your screen time comparison, your, your time log, and you compared that to the amount of time you spend in God's word with the local church, how would those two compare? Just think about it. I mean, don't you think that for most of us, it's flipped and our primary source of truth or wisdom is the place where it may be sometimes, but not a lot, Twitter or Facebook or whatever like that. Okay. Think about that for a second. At this really foundational moment in the church's life, and I'm going to wrap up with this, at this foundational moment in the church's life, as they became good with the Lord, in right standing, justified because of the work of Jesus Christ through baptism, washed in his blood, as they became good in the eyes of God, who now looks down on them and sees them as he sees his own son, it's then that they realized and recognized, I need an authority in my life that's not me. And so they devoted themselves to God's word and how that word was taught to them and interpreted to them through the church. The church became this community that they could trust, the people who loved them and God had put in place to lead them. And so they studied God's word with the church and we're told they did it daily, daily. So what might your commitments be along this line as you think about next year? You know, if we believe a strong church, just like a strong Christian, is built with this framework, what might it mean for you to more fully devote yourself to God's word through the apostles' teaching? What that, might that look like for you in 2023? There's all kinds of studies and read the Bible through any year plans and studies that I can connect you with that our leaders would love to connect you with. Maybe it's coming to Sunday school class or going to Wednesday night Bible class or joining a small group and, and being part of doing some kind of study where you're being enriched by God's word. There's all kinds of ways. And if you need help, reach out to myself, your elders or any of our other ministers. We'd love to help you. But why don't you just, just think about it? Is there an authority in my life besides me? And is that authority God's word and church? Think about it. Let me say a prayer over you. God, we believe that you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ. 
and that through Jesus we see and understand your word in Scripture. What a sweet blessing to be a people who can hear directly from the Lord. God, to that end, would you fill each of us with your Holy Spirit? And would your Holy Spirit bind us together, not only as students of your word, but as, as a church devoted to you? God, I'm thankful for partner ministries in this effort, like Harding School of Theology, that's been such a blessing to the leaders of this church as we seek to interpret God's word for these people. Would you bless them? Would you make us generous next week so that, that we can bless them and others? I pray all this, God, and the confidence we have in your son, Jesus Christ, our King. Pray in his name. Amen.